Psalm 2 Why do the heathen rage, and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder, and cast their cords away from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath, and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron, thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings, be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and ye perish from the way, when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. All right, this week we are talking about Psalm 2. I remember when I first read Psalm 2, and really for a long time when I read it, I was just kind of like, whoa, this is very different than Psalm 1. (laughs) You're going from, oh, a beautiful tree planted by the waters, how pretty, to heathen raging and the breaking them with a rod of iron and dashing them in pieces like a potter's vessel. And it's just like, oh, (laughs) wow, this is a change of scenery here. Uh, But actually, Psalm 2 does relate to Psalm 1 in that both of them are introductory psalms. So both Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 are kind of giving you the overall themes of of the psalms. So Psalm 1, you'll remember the themes are the righteous man and the ungodly man. And Psalm 2 brings this to a cosmic scale of the nations. So the the nations warring against God and God conquering the nations. And that is something that is new to me that I didn't really realize before, but it... um, is really amazing how Psalm 2 is so, is this elevation of the themes of, of the psalm, talking about the universal application, basically. And the, um, rather than thinking on individual scales, you're thinking in terms of the world and the nations and kingdoms. So what are these um, cosmic kingdoms? Well, in our small group, we actually, we talked about a lot of these things. Um, First of all, when you're talking about the Lord laughing, we talked about that for a bit. Um, And God, God truly just um, views the name, like laughing, you know, it's such a lighthearted thing to do. Um, I know a lot of times we might chuckle with irony (laughs) or... um, We might, you know, snort (laughs) slightly if something, uh, you know, we're kind of grumpy, but someone uh, says something funny or someone says something really annoying, we might be like, "Uh okay. But you don't laugh without some degree of brevity. 
And why is God able to have this brevity? It's because he's so powerful. It, like, he's laughing because he doesn't, he's not concerned at all about the nations and their plans and their schemes. He's laughing because he's, he is in charge and he has no worries about the nations. Um, and it, it sounds, it could be kind of like a mockery laugh. And, and maybe that's true, but I think kind of what we decided on <laughs> in our very wise small group was that it's more of like laughing at a child who's, you know, acting, having a tantrum. And you're just like, oh my goodness, <laughs> like this is too much. <laughs> it's not like you hate the child. You're just kind of like, oh, <laughs> must we do this right now, you know? Uh, and I, I think that's kind of the attitude that God has here. Um, now, granted, he is angry with the wicked, so maybe there is some mockery in there. And he does have them in derision, which is like chaos. So uh, there might be a little bit of judgment in there, but it's all from the fact that God is just so powerful and so in charge that he doesn't need to worry about the kingdoms, uh, the heathen raging. Now, the next part that we talked about was a little bit more tricky. Uh, looking at all these quotes, so it's talking about God says this, um, and then I said this, and blah, blah, blah. So that always confused me because I have the King James Version, and we don't do quotes here. We just kind of let you figure it out, which is what the Hebrew also does. And that's why some versions do have different quotations in different parts of scripture. I believe this psalm actually does have some different interpretations that I've found of who is saying what. Um, but we do, it does seem that he is saying, like he will speak in his wrath, yet have I sent my king upon my holy hill of Zion. So that is what God is saying. Then this next part, um, I always thought was going back to day, or I didn't always, I, I honestly wasn't able to form an opinion for a long time, but I believe now that this is back to David saying, I will declare the decree the Lord has said unto me. So that's David. And then you go back to the quote, the Lord has said unto me, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. End quote, I believe. And then you're going after verse nine, you go back into David applying the words of God that he is declaring, the decree that he is declaring to everyone. And he's talking to, then he begins to address the kings. So what God says is that he has set his king upon his holy hill of Zion. And he has said, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Uh, so this is where we get even more cosmic and fun uh, in Psalm 2. So we start with the nations. Okay, that's, you know, large scale here. But the next part here is prophecy and talking about really the entire plan of God throughout history. And so that's where we get really cool, actually. And the quote that I most want to talk about is, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. So it seems like David is saying that he, that the Lord has said unto me, 
thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. I believe some people have said that this is all one quote, including that I will declare the decree of the Lord has said unto me, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. As in, God is saying all of this stuff together. Um, which kind of makes sense if you're talking about, you're thinking about Jesus when he was baptized and God said, thou art my son, um, in whom I am well pleased, or this is my son, in whom I am well pleased. And that would make sense that God was then saying, oh yes, I am God's son. But it doesn't seem like it's quoting God the son here. It's the Lord will have them in derision, speaking to them in his wrath. It seems like it's God the father who is speaking. And so it wouldn't make sense for God the father to be like, God the father has said to me, you are my son, you know? So I believe that this is David talking here, and God is talking to David, you are my son, this day have I begotten you. And I think that this really helps us understand uh, Hebrews. So if we go to Hebrews 1, um, we see this directly quoted uh, in a segment where he quotes quite a few Psalms. But he's talking about how Jesus has... Um, become is being glor it has been glorified. So basically we're going from God who has spoken to us by his son. That's how the, the Hebrews starts. The letter to the Hebrews starts. God has spoken to us through Jesus and we need to listen to what Jesus has said. Okay. And then he goes on this argument about how Jesus' word is more valuable than the angel's word. And we have trusted the angels in the past, right? We've trusted the prophets, we've trusted the angels, but we can trust God even more. And so then he talks about angels for a while, and it's kind of weird. Um, at first you're like, why does he care so much about angels? I don't care that much about angels, but obviously it's very important. And um, I'm guessing too, the Hebrews had some different ideas about angels, but you know, I, I see why it's important. And I think it's important for us to appreciate that, you know, supernatural beings do exist. And like, we get so caught up in our Western culture with the intellect and psychology that we forget that spiritual beings are important and play a role in our lives. So little aside there, that was for free. But let's look here at uh, where it's talking about Jesus in verse 4 being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Um, and then, but unto the son he saith, Thy throne, O God, is the scepter, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. So, it goes on and on and on until, um, with all of these references from the Old Testament, Hebrews is great. It's a treasure trove of um, things from the, the Old Testament. And then it goes uh, in Hebrews 2, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard, lest any time we should let them slip. And then it talks, It's this goes on for a long time, but... Basically, here it says, we see Jesus, this is verse 9, chapter 2, but we see Jesus who is made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. 
for it became him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he who that sanctifieth, and they who are sanctifieth, are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. So, the logic here is going from God has this order of the world where it is God and then you have the spiritual beings and you have man and men are under the angels in a way like we are we are b- b- lower than the angels it says here that he made Jesus became a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death but we are also put above the works of all of creation so we have this ranking where um, God has put us as an integral part of his plan. And that part of that plan is for God to become human, right? God didn't become an angel. And so even though man is lower than the angels, we are above the angels because God has become a man. (laughs) Do you see? Uh, It's this kind of crazy loop. And God has put all things in subjection under him. And so when he's talking in verse one, it says, for which of the angels did he say at any time, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. He's talking about Jesus being like the true man. So contrasting, he's kind of going back and forth between Jesus becoming man and man being something that Jesus wanted to become. Um, Wow, this, I'm having trouble getting this across, but Basically, um, God views mankind as his children in ways in a way that he does not view the angels. And so while David saying, thou art my son this day, have I begotten thee? It's kind of talking to David and to mankind. Remember that Psalm 2 is a cosmic psalm. So it's kind of talking about mankind in general. You are my son. This day have I begotten you. Well, how does God beget mankind through the only begotten son, right? So remember in verse 10, 9 and 10 of chapter 2, uh, 9, 10, and 11, <laughs> that um, both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. So this is the really cool thing about Psalm 2. It's that it's a prophecy and it's also a statement about mankind, that mankind is um, begotten of God in a way because, or, or the chosen people of mankind are begotten of God because the only begotten son of God became a man to beget us and bring us into glory. I hope that made sense, <laughs> but that is the relation to Hebrews. And then there is another cross-reference in Acts as well. And this is in Acts 13 where Paul is preaching to, I believe, the Sanhedrin. He's um, in, well, maybe not the Sanhedrin, but he's in the temple and he's speaking to the people, uh, the children of Abraham, the stock of Abraham. Uh, He says, We declare unto you glad tidings, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto us their children, in that he hath raised up Jesus again, as it is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. 
here, Paul even gives us the reference. <laughs> Very convenient. He's not just like somebody in some place. Uh, he says, yep, second Psalm. Here we are. He's, he's an academic, let me tell you. So he's saying that God has fulfilled for us, their children, the children of Abraham, this promise that we are, we will be his children because of Jesus, who is the son of God. So that again, another cross-reference illustrating this kind of loop, logic, uh, logical loop of um, mankind becoming the children of God. It's a, it's a promise because the one true child of God became man for us. Pretty cool. I, um, I think it's interesting that, too, how um, God gives the son, the heathen, for thine inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession, um, because it can serve both functions of he is uh, giving Jesus the nations because Jesus has redeemed them. This goes back to Hebrews, um, behold, I and the children which God hath given me, right? Um, but then there's also the other component that there is judgment here. And so Jesus will reign as king. In fact, he is already seated at the right hand of the throne of God, right? So he is given the nations both to redeem them and to conquer them. One or the other, right? The, it's kind of almost trite, um, but every knee shall bow, right? You either bow in submission now um, and in thankfulness, or you bow later as conquered, um, and we will be punished then, you know? So really kind of cool note there. I won't delve into it too much. I kind of want to chat a little bit about this last verse, kiss the son, lest he be angry and he perish from the way when his wrath is kindled, but a little. And um, you know, a lot of the girls were kind of like, oh, it's kind of weird. <laughs> Why do we have to kiss the sun? And I mean, immediately my mind goes to, my mind was like, oh, kiss the sun, you know, like back in, <laughs> it was honestly, I think of that cartoon Robin Hood movie <laughs> where, where the people are like kissing the hands and getting all the, the ring stones from people. Do you, anyway. Um, but it was like a sign of obsequious, um, like submission to a monarch. That was a very normal thing to like kiss their feet, whatever. Um, but other girls in my group were talking about it being a very intimate thing as well. And I was like, yeah, you're right. That's kind of weird. And, but the thing is that it's not one or the other. And that's kind of the thing that, um, I think the Psalm is really, kind of stretching me in this way and that it's not like it's either a prophecy or a statement of general mankind or a statement to David. It's all of them. And this, all of these pictures that you get create the bigger picture that helps you sort of understand the way that God works in the world, which is very small scale, very detail oriented, very broad scale, very cosmic beyond our understanding level of working, you know, and similarly with this kissing, um, idea, I think that it's many things. I think that it's both submission and it's also love and affection and intimacy. 
And this is something that I, I'll say it. I didn't really understand before I was married. <laughs> you know, you kiss, you might, I might, okay, yeah, I did not say my first kiss for my wedding day. This is, wow, I'm getting way off track here, but um, no, I do want to talk about this. Like, it was, um, like, kissing before we were married was like, oh yeah, like, we're kissing, this is nice, like, hello, kind of finding out about each other more, and now, I would, it's just so different, like, in many ways it's the same, because it's like, oh yes, hello, hi, you're my husband, but it's also, like, there, there's other things in there too, like, when I might be slightly annoyed, or slightly rushed, or whatever, it's like, a, a kiss is, a promise in a way. This is actually what my, at the time, fiance said, like a kiss is like a promise. Um, and it's like, it's like saying, yes, I will be here. You know, I am here for you. I am here. I submit myself. It's like a, it is like a submission thing. Like I submit myself to whatever it is that you want to do with me because I love you, right? Like I am devoted to you no matter what and whatever happens, I am here for you, you know, and I, I want to be with you forever. That's kind of what the kiss is saying. And you don't get that same level of kiss when you're a kid. Like you don't really understand that. And that's not really what you're saying to your parents. You're just saying like, ah, I'm so happy to see you. I love you. Um, and that's not what you're saying to the king who is, um, you know, seated on the throne and you're just like begging for mercy and kissing his feet it's it's a unique thing to marriage and i do think that it's important because god uses marriage as a metaphor for his relationship to us so much in this complete devotion complete commitment that no other relationship has and i think that's kind of what is being uh, hinted at here I think maybe the original David was probably thinking more about the king and the, the kissing the feet thing, but I think that it's important uh, to, to think about it from the other angles because David probably didn't foresee exactly how God was going to bring many sons to glory by making the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering, right? He, he didn't get the whole picture of Jesus and I don't think he maybe even got the whole picture of what the marriage supper of the lamb will be like. And I certainly don't think I have the whole picture, but I, I do think that was helpful to me marrying, <laughs> Mary, uh, this marriage of submission and love and intimacy in our relationship to God. So I hope you enjoyed today's podcast, uh, Girl Meets Bible, Psalm 2, second week of studying the Psalms. I really enjoyed this. I'm really enjoying this whole journey so far, and I really can't wait to see what happens next. Uh, maybe one day I'll move to more than one a week um, because this will take three years, but uh, I really love this speed, and I hope you do too. And um, please like and subscribe if you do like it. 
and please leave me any feedback that you have or questions. I would, I would love to hear from you. All right. Have a great one.